Welcome to the Silicon Trail Podcast. My name is Michael, and with me is my co-host, Johnny. On the Silicon Trail, we discuss recent technology and business trends, and observe where technology is going with an eye for unmet gaps and potential opportunities. To, to win. That's, we're talking about winning here. This podcast yeah. is about winning. That's just out of a great lie for Best Buy. It's like, tired of being a geek squad. You're telling me you've become an unmovable blob of facts. Taken me back a by 22 the... year sentence for attempted murder for hire? It's, it's a colorful group that they have uh, filmed here. Why? Why are you guys fighting? Right? Why are you not <laughs> letting me stream what I need to stream? Yes, it's, it's increasingly neutral, Johnny. This episode was recorded on April 12th, 2020. We'll be giving an update on COVID-19. And for our main topic for the day, we work. All right, Johnny, what's in the news? Did you see those? Uh, did you see those Yelp layoffs? Yeah, Yelp. Yelp lays off a thousand employees and furloughs eleven hundred more. And apparently, they have an office in so, Vancouver. Quick question, and I've I've looked this up, but there was I I've just been skimming articles. Furlough is leave of absence without pay, but not a firing, right? Correct. Okay. All right. I, I just want to interrupt this uh, normally recorded session mm-hmm. to, to make this announcement that our podcast has been submitted for review in iTunes. Let the glorious giant that is Apple approve our podcast. Now, uh-huh. furlough. Yes, I think that's when you're still kept on the books so that you still have access to They retain to their healthcare. benefits. Okay, I see. Yes, Yelp is the first of the, well, the first one that's let the media know it's happened at the very least. Well, I think Uber is bigger than Yelp and Uber, I mean, effectively has stopped right? because in, for, for gig workers, right? You, you work and you don't work on the same day, right? You right. Can, it's like you're being hired and let go at the same time, right? So Uber folks, those guys never had benefits, I believe. Well, no, but I, I think Yelp coming into play, which makes sense because they started by being a uh, for restaurants, right? And then they expanded to other areas, but their core business is providing reviews for physical businesses, right? So mm-hmm. they would they would be largely hit. It just shows you that you know this will continue. This this pandemic will continue to impact businesses that rely predominantly on physical uh, uh, businesses, physical interaction. I'm reading their internal email, which I'll, I'll link in our show notes. It says that, wow, restaurants have had a 64% drop in attendance since March 10th, and nightlife has is down 81%, and gyms are down 73%, and beauty salons are down 83%. That, that's, that is staggering. Another statistics in this uh, tragedy, huh? On my list of companies that I thought were most dangerous, I was thinking it was more Uber and Airbnb. I didn't realize that Yelp derived so much of its value specifically from 
its its listings. Well, it makes sense, right? Because again, what is what do you remember? You and I used to use Yelp, right? Whenever Sundays or on the weekends, we were looking for a new place to eat. I mean, I still use Yelp just to look at if the places we're selecting are any good. Right. So their whole business is predicated on people going to a place and writing a review of that service so that others can say, hey, do I want to go to this place to eat? I'm looking for a barber, what have you, right? So mm-hmm. if everything shut down, it, it makes sense. But yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was highlighting, right? That the fact that Yelp's been impacted and we didn't even think about Yelp at all. We were thinking only about the gig economy just shows you there's other businesses out there. If they're, you know, whether they're tech or not tech, if they're dependent on physical interaction, they're hurting right now too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder who else will come out that we didn't expect, right? The, the beginning, you have the usual suspects, right? Hotels, airlines have been hit, restaurants have been hit, uh, the restaurants are pivoting to meal delivery and now they're fighting with the meal delivery apps because they're taking too high of a percentage. And, and uh, you know, of course the gig economy folks are, are hit, right? The Ubers, Airbnbs hit. A lot of the businesses that came out of the 2008, 2009 recession that drove this huge portion of the gig economy are hit, except mm-hmm. and they've been pivoting to food delivery. But, and now we're seeing Yelp being hit. So I wonder who else that we didn't expect will get hit uh, next. But the, the, one other thing is, so they laid off a thousand employees and they furloughed another 1,100. I don't think the article explains what portions of their business. Yes, I was going to ask that. I was going to ask. And it said for some also reduced hours, which means reduced hours. Well, that means hourly workers as well. I figure, I mean, the real thing with tech companies is I wonder at what point do they lay off their technical staff? Because 1,000 here, 1,000 there. It's like, okay, I'm seeing, I, I see their contractors probably hit first. So for Yelp, I think they do have contract writers and contract content not what's the word I'm looking for content editors yes content editors yeah they have the folks that also moderate right they had a place yes. in Arizona like a lot of these other tech companies right that were monitoring the reviews and handling them so a lot of those are contract workers and I think the last step for some of these tech companies is that starts going to the development organization well you also see that right because so, so I imagine at the beginning of the year they've set their budget they've started hiring or, they, they have their budget for who they're going to hire full-time and internships. And a lot of these companies, uh, I don't know about Yelp, are rescinding their internships and rescinding their, their uh, job offers for new grads. So it's already started, right? Where, yes, they may not be laying off current employees, but they're already stopping not just the hiring and interviewing of new folks, but the, the offers that they put out already for folks that were going to join them that were part of the, you know, in their finances for the year are already being removed, right? So they're already creating that buffer. But yes, if they get to the point of saying, we're gonna start getting rid of some of our dev team, you know, that's if, uh, that's, the, you know, that's just another indication that this situation has grown deeper, right? So it looks like they've gotten rid of one third of their employee base. Mm-hmm. So I feel, I feel bad for any new, can you imagine graduating? Can you, you know, all of our friends who have basically just wrapped up their PhDs, either last year or this year, can you imagine graduating at this time and trying to go into this job market? Yes. Maybe you'll see people say, I want to stick to this PhD a bit longer. I have a bit more Post-doc. research I need to complete. Postdoctoral yeah. fellowships. It's like, I remember we, we kind of, we avoided the last recession being that we were in different forms of higher education at that point. 
yeah, we, we were pretty much in, in our college years. So the, the, the one thing, of course, this keeps happening for a while, but a couple of things I want to touch on on this is how different companies are responding. I don't know if you saw how Bird handled their letting Bird go. Bird is the people. scooter sharing? Yes, scooter sharing. Okay. How they handled their letting go of, of 400 employees, they said, which I think is- How many big, employees did they possibly have to begin with? Uh, I would say in the a thousand or so. So I, yeah. I think this was, people were saying 30 or 40% of their employees, they were like, oh, but no one has a concrete number. Yeah, and that's a lot because, it, because just to quickly wrap up on the Yelp thing, that was yeah. about 17% of their entire workforce. Wait, how's that 17%? If there's 6,000 and they let go of effectively 2,000, two over six is one third. Well, I don't think they count the furloughs. Oh, of course. Yeah, then okay, one six, so just yeah. 17%. Uh, yeah, sure. But realistically, 2,000 employees are no longer working at Yelp. Yes, yes. Yeah, the um, layoffs are 17% staff reduction. The furloughs themselves are another additional. 17%, right? Yep. Yeah. No, I, I wanted to kind of extend this to talk, to talk about how different companies are handling this differently. So Bird, they, God knows how many people they let go, but they had a webinar on Zoom where it looked like a pre-recorded or someone just reading out of a script, you know, looked like it was handled very poorly. Even the mm -hmm. person at the very beginning said, you know, this is a suboptimal way of delivering this message. Uh, folks said, it was said that Friday was their last day, but during the call, some people were kicked off, their computers were restarted because they were booted. Um, you know, someone in IT had written a script to kick, automatically kick anybody off of the, you know, the Slack, the computer, all the other, a critical access accounts that they have in the account in the I'm assuming they ran it before they told everyone they're leaving. Yeah. So that's what it looked like, right? During the, mm -hmm. it was scheduled for 30 minutes. The, the, they waited five minutes and it was two minutes of talking and then that was it. But during that time, some people thought, you know, maybe this is wrong. Uh, meetings don't stay late. So it was, it was, yeah, handled very poorly. But in contrast to that, there's also companies that are not laying off their staff, but reducing salary. Right, saying everybody's going to get a cut of this percent. Tesla's has done yep. this. Different yep. other companies have done this, where they say, you know, at the senior vice president level and above, you're getting this much. Vice president above, every this much, and then everybody else is this much. There are companies that are working really hard not to lay off their staff, but just reduce all the pay. But question for you, Michael, is how would you handle this, right? And would you handle this differently? If you were like a 10 person company, 100 person company, 1000 person company, I think it really depends on the company depends on how much of my workforce is contract versus full time, how much of it do I put directly on a uh, on I guess my development organization versus not. It's, it's tough to say this is this is a this is an unplanned situation. I think this thing that's been said over and over again for small business and large business CEOs and everyone alike is that no one had a contingency plan for something like this. In fact, considering the last major plague, if you will, or the pandemic was what, the, was it the Hong Kong flu or was it the Spanish flu? I'm not sure which one that they're comparing. MERS? MERS wasn't this, MERS wasn't this destructive. We didn't shut down for MERS. Oh, I see, SARS then. SARS we didn't shut down, SARS didn't reach, didn't have the reach of this. SARS hit Asia very hard. It didn't have the reach they, of... Uh, it didn't they also the reach hit uh, Toronto really yes. hard as well. But then, then I don't know which other... I one believe 
And that's the, the thing, 1918 Spanish flu. I was going to say, I think the Spanish flu is the one that they compare it most to. Right. Which is, a quick aside on that, the Spanish flu, that has an interesting name to it because I believe it was named because Spain was the only country that wasn't in World War I. Therefore, it actually did not censor their media in order to report that this pandemic was going on. Yep, that's correct. I watched a couple of videos on the Spanish flu and it looked mm-hmm. like it was driven by soldiers, uh, you know, going back home, you know, back mm-hmm. to the States. So, you know, there's talk that it could have started in France, could start in Italy, could have started in China, but nobody really knows, but it was the intermingling of soldiers post during World War I and the end of World War I that mm-hmm. kind of caused it to spread and go back to, you know, the States. Because we didn't have that level of travel back then, right? And we were at right. war, so no one was traveling outside of the soldiers. So. Right. But to, uh, I was going to say, to your, to your question, I guess, to wrap it up, I don't think I could, I, I could handle this much better or much differently or much more what's the word I'm looking for much different in strategy than all these different companies with their layoffs, with their, uh, with their salary decreases, with their furloughs. This is just something you can't prepare for. I think, I, I think executing on these with, with empathy and with professionalism is highly important. So as you were saying before with bird, the others moving on to our other yes, stories, next topic, we had, you know, Facebook supplying free portals to some home care, home residents under NHS scheme. So this is in the, in the UK. The sentiment of Facebook is actually increasing during this, during the COVID-19 time. Of course, Facebook for the past... Sentiment is increasing? Sentiment, as in the likability. Yeah, the positive sentiment. Okay. Sentiment is neutral. All right. Fine. Fine. Yes, it's, it's increasingly neutral, Johnny. <laughs> have you ever seen the Futurama with the neutral planet? No, I have not. The idea, the idea is, it's uh, you should you should watch it. The idea is the entire planet is completely neutral and they have no opinions whatsoever on anything. No. <laughs> well, we know that's definitely well. So that, for, that is that is Facebook's play, right? Try to be neutral. Yes. But yes, but this is interesting. So Facebook to supply free portals to some of the residents, the care home care residents. This is great. Facebook is. And in all, in all seriousness, trying to do a lot of great things for people and trying to support, whether it's small businesses, whether it's nursing homes, whether it's people who are separated, they're releasing new feature after new feature. Facebook released the feature. I mean, they put Messenger on desktop uh, for the first time. and kind of say they're following Zoom. Actually, we can definitely say they're following Zoom. But at the very least, okay, they're, they're going with the idea that, that connectivity is very important. They're releasing more mental health things. They're releasing a whole bunch of things to try to get on top of helping and assisting the social network or the the people network that they formed. And interestingly enough, of course, for the past 10 years, Facebook's reputation has has kind of crested and waned. And this it's interesting that now through all of these things, I think they're slowly starting to recover some of that reputation. I, I, I also saw they they launched a app for couples during this mm-hmm. crisis. So yeah, that's interesting. I, I wonder if there's also, even under normal circumstances, if there's a place for some of these initiatives. Yeah, of course, right now we're in a crisis and, and you know, people are obviously doing things they would normally not do, like being cooped up at home all day mm-hmm. uh, with family or by themselves. But, you know, under normal conditions, I wonder if some of these initiatives will continue to expand and grow within Facebook and other companies. This, was, this has been a month. It took a crisis 
to make Facebook become this usefully innovative, which begs the question, what was it doing for the past six, seven, whatever post WhatsApp acquisition years? Uh, it got into stories. Okay. It got into stories. All right. Yes. It treated, it it treated Snapchat as its R and D arm and took all its ideas and executed them a bit better. I told you, right. I mean, I remember I, for the longest time, my joke was I want to be the head of product for IG because my day to day would be open up TechCrunch, filter to Snapchat, see what new features they released, add that to roadmap. Oh man, oh man. There's something to be said for competition, right? And not having one person come in and, and kind of take up all the air in that. Uh, yes. But no, I, I agree. I, and that's why I raised that question, right? Like the fact that they built something for couples under normal condition, you know, there's always a need for helping, for evaluating relationships, whether it's with your loved ones, uh, friends, colleagues, whatever it is, right? Uh, there's all this, you can see this in some of the rise of the mindfulness, the, the apps like Calm, Headspace, right? So I wonder if that's an interesting space for, for, for someone, for an entity like Facebook, which is very much about community and, cult and cultivating, well, claiming to be about the community and cultivating that community. I wonder if they could keep doing that and keep going back to some parts of their mission and expanding on it, right? Instead of just getting into this whole ad-driven business. It gives me the idea for, for, for Zoom, we should look into that because I think a lot of these other companies are missing the point about Zoom. I think that should be a, a, a separate episode for us to explore. So moving on, is there anything else you want to talk about on this story? Uh, that's all. All right. I do like I do like my portal. It's it's not without flaws, but I, I like it. I like it as it is. I'm unconvinced still of how many people are buying echoes and and the new echo of the camera and all these different camera things. I feel for whatever reason, when it goes to voice to video, people's minds snap and they actually start thinking about privacy. The thought I had here is is there a way could it make sense for for Facebook to give away the portals for free? And given that they're you know, making money from the data anyways, how much is the, does the portals really contribute to their business? I understand their, their need or their attempt to diversify, but if you're a data-driven company where you're collecting all your consumers' data and you're analyzing and you're using that for ad sales, right, and thinking of new products and services to build on top, why not just give away the portal for free, right? It's just another avenue for you to get more data, which, of course, none of them are doing, but... right. But considering it has a scare, so Amazon, I think, would have the best chance of that. Though, mm. actually, so I would say a, that, we, yeah, we, we could maybe talk about this in a, in a follow-up. My idea is in order to be a company who can do it for free, you need really good hardware. You need a product that is cheap to assemble. And you need, uh, well, by really good hardware, I mean a really good hardware division, experience in hardware. You need a product that's very cheap to assemble. And you, need a, and you need software that matches the limitations of that product. So initially on the top of my head, I thought Amazon with the Echo Dot was yeah. the thing that had the best chance of getting away for free. If you look at the low, low prices, what is it, like 30 bucks for the Google Home Mini and the Amazon Dot? Or, but effectively, the screen on the Facebook portal, you can't have that. That's way too expensive to be yeah. trying to give away for free. And then Facebook doesn't have a voice AI that would be leverageable. I believe they leverage Alexa. They don't have a voice AI that they can leverage of their own for a non-screen system. So I don't think Facebook could do it. I think some company could do it, but Amazon's not even that company because their hardware division is not great. 
Apple has great hardware, but they sell things at a premium. Google doesn't have great hardware. So I'm not sure if there's any big data company that's actually positioned to be able to eat those losses. Yeah. The, the one observation I have here is it's interesting that as, as influential and powerful as these companies are, they each have their own set of limitations that you just described, right? For example, the fact that Facebook doesn't have its own Siri, Google, Google uh, voice, right? Uh, or, you know, Amazon Alexa, speaks to some of the limitations that it has to depend on some of these other companies for that. So, mm -hmm. okay. I think definitely some topics we can follow up later on future episodes from this. The yes. next world news in COVID-19. So your, your prime minister, Johnny of Canada, tell us about O Canada. O Canada is <clears throat> dealing with the virus relatively well, even within Canada, it looks like the West they're saying is dealing better with it than the center uh, slash east. But the point of this story is that Trudeau announced on Thursday, I believe it was, that there's no return to normal no normality until the coronavirus, coronavirus has a vaccine that's widely available. It kind of put out there what I think a couple of us have been suspecting. I, I know you and I have discussed it. Uh, you know, I was listening to some of our earlier episodes where we were saying, you, you know, when you started working from home, you said, ah, oh, you know, it's going to be a week or two and then things will be all right. Right. And then you're like, okay, maybe this will be until June, July. And I think more recently you've been saying like, okay, maybe, you know, there won't be much activity until there's some kind of cure to this. So the fact that Trudeau came out and just said that he did say that they look into opening parts of the economy, but in a very measured and controlled manner uh, over the coming weeks. But this is just an addition of already, you know, the Toronto saying three months, British Columbia saying until summer. So we were already looking at June, July timeline, but this just makes it like, Hey, you know, we don't know 18 months, <laughs> get used to it, <laughs> get used to being home, get used to this new normal. Um, I mean, and I, mean I, the, I believe the best case scenario for a vaccine is 18 months from January. So yes. next June. Right. But then you the have stuff is, can, can we have a treatment? Can we have an antiviral treatment? that comes out before that, I believe, is what people are, are placing their hopes on. Right, right. There, yes, there's that as well, right? Uh, which, hopefully. But this isn't, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I just, I just wanted to highlight that, that, you know, somebody's actually come out, a world leader has come out and said, hey, we're not coming back to normal until there is a vaccine. And this is the realistic 12 to 18 months that we're actually dealing with, right? This whole, I mean, we're going to open look in a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, if you look at the countries that have come out of quarantine, they're not normal. They're not in a normal state. Like China's yeah. post-quarantine life is not normal. It is still more, it's, it's China's post-quarantine life is more like America's quarantine life. Yeah, the, the other one is Singapore that handled it really well. Yes, but they, now it's rising, right? It opened yeah, back they, up and now boom. They, exactly, they relaxed the rules. And yeah, I think they just skyrocketed 142 new cases. I think Hong Kong also kind of faced that. So, excuse me, there's that reality that you're already seeing, right? <laughs> if you open too early without certain things in place, you're going to continue to have more and more outbreaks. And even in this article on the Global News, what Trudeau is saying is that they're anticipating this first wave to be until summer, but there's nothing, but they're also expecting subsequent waves to come through. And that's right. why they're giving that 18 month, right? But you're right, if there is some kind of intermediate treatment before the vaccine is, then you could potentially open it up for, for more 
people to come back, right? And, and I think this is where I haven't seen this is you're getting two sides of a one extreme, right? So people are just, you have to shut it down and everyone has to social distance for these number of months. And then the other extreme is like, you know, like, you know, for example, taking the US saying, hey, we're gonna open in May, right? Originally we're saying we're gonna open by Easter and now we're gonna open The cure cannot be worse than the, the disease. Exactly. So what I'm not seeing is, you know, the government looking at the data and saying, okay, we can guarantee that this population isn't impacted and they're safe to go back to work because we've done all this testing. Here's our rigorous proof, so on and so forth. And then we will put in mechanisms to take care of the older population, right? Whether it's working like a private public partnership with like an Uber, uh, meal delivery, what have you, right? And the community level, like Nextdoor is one of those apps, right? So if they can bring some kind of private public partnership and say, this is how we're gonna deal with taking care of our elderly in our communities while still ensuring that some population is able to go back to work and we provide this level of security and treatment and all this care, then you could at least have the confidence for people to feel comfortable going back to work. Have you seen all of the different stimuluses that have been going out across the entire world? So for example, United States planning another 2.3 trillion. I believe the, the, the equivalent the of the Fed chief. But the 2.3 trillion was for the stock. It wasn't Another for, one. Yes, yes, yes. It wasn't for the individuals. It wasn't part of the CARE Act. Yeah, yeah. This one is to basically buy distressed assets. The government is buying junk bonds now, basically. It's buying distressed equities and junk bonds. But I believe the, the equivalent of the Fed in Australia, the Fed head, came out and just said, this is all we're going to do. There's nothing more that we can possibly stimulate in this economy. Yeah, every country is dealing with it differently. I'm not sure what... Australia has done so far, but that'll be interesting to see. I think you'll continue to see the rise of debt, right? In mm -hmm. all of this. And inflation. So, yeah, and inflation. So, right. no, this doesn't bode well, and this will have obviously long-term con consequences, right? From a policy perspective, interest rates have gone back down to almost zero. Like I know- Negative the, in some European countries. Yes, negative. And Canada brought it down to 0.25 and said, we're not taking it any lower than this. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we yep. will see. Long-term well, economics, but yeah. So final, final news story goes back to the bandwidth that we we're talking about before. Yes, this this speaks to the story is that Xbox Live has experienced issues for the third time in a month. But this this just shows the continued demand that is there, uh, and can our systems continue to to handle it, or will the strain at some point be too much? Especially now, as we are finding out. What is it like half the world population one third or so half of the world's population is now in lockdown yep. and everybody is more on the internet than they've ever been so even though you know energy has gone down the commute has gone down uh, pollution is cleared from you know la india uh you know the wild animals are starting to come back in certain places the internet <laughs> they're the reclaiming just... <laughs> they're reclaiming the earth exactly the the, the pandas are mating traffic. in zoos all that traffic has now gone into, oh yes, yes, the pandas are mating in zoos. I saw that, now that no one's looking at them. Yep. So all this traffic is now being rerouted to the internet. Now we've already seen the streaming uh, uh, folks lower their bandwidth, uh, their bit rate, uh, PlayStation reduced download speeds in Europe and US. Which country has the best internet that we I say? Which, which country do we say has the best internet infrastructure? I think they say Korea has one of the best, Japan has one of the best, but I think that's from like more of a speed, right? Download right. speed, bandwidth speed. I don't know if that, well, that obviously speaks to one part of their infrastructure, right? Cause they're able 
because they're such a small country, um, they have the advantage of that. But right. I would say it's just, somewhere in Asia. I don't think. Because I'm just easy. thinking in my head. So I think it's the statistics are, I believe, 60% of the world's population has now been connected, has, does now have internet. Because it's not as if the countries that never had this great infrastructure are the ones that are all of a sudden using more Netflix, using more Xbox Live. No. It's right. still the exact same nations and regions that were putting their load on Netflix, on Xbox Live before. And effectively, I mean, this keeps going back to what we keep saying. The internet that we've built does not actually seem ready for the way that the internet has evolved into no. this high streaming, high bandwidth, high throughput system. In the cloud wars, you're seeing you know, Google ramping up, Amazon's always hiring. I don't know about Microsoft, but I imagine Azure is always hiring as well. Yep. So I wonder if they'll continue to focus on this uh, and start. So of course they're bolstering theirs, but I wonder if they'll come together and say, you know what, it's still all of our benefit to continue to improve the underlying infrastructure of the internet. How can we do that at a, a higher level? I don't well, know. Google if tried that with Google Fiber, but in honesty, if the if the American government wants a public works right. type of act in order to boost the economy back again, the twenty first century internet infrastructure needs to be improved. Yeah, yeah, because right. that, that will touch everybody, right? That will. Like the, the physical, the, the mm -hmm. folks building the data centers, the chips, the folks building the buildings for the data centers. Like this is the entire ecosystem. It's not just a bunch of software developers get to continue. To and I was, I was about to say, not to get on the soapbox or to run for politics or anything, but right. the areas that it, in, in theory, if I were, if I were a, 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 your politician. a politician, if I were a politician in the United States with, with the ability to make this, basically if I were the president, if I were the president of the United States, um, the way I would look at it is the areas that has the worst infrastructure are the ones that you go build out first. Right. And then, so it's not necessarily, oh, New York, California, uh, these other areas that you build out, Boston, these other areas you build out first. Like, okay, you guys have comparably better infrastructure than all these other places. I'm going to the Midwest, going to the South, I'm going to... The, the areas that don't have great internet, internet infrastructure, bring that in. And think about the economic driver, the economic cultural change that you can enact, one, by having those jobs, two, by bringing in faster internet and bring, uh, seeing the rise of just like technology hubs potentially that could start forming in middle America if such right. a thing were to happen. Right. I, I, I just want to add that, you know what? It's taken 12 years, but we are now well on our way to realizing the, the, the truth that is a movie called WALL-E, okay? People stay <laughs> home. People are afraid to go outside. So we need people to, to do so that for us. You're telling me you become an unmovable blob of fatness. Well, you know, you can still move around your house and you should still, you know, join one of these free or or somewhat free gym gym apps for home. But I think, you know, what, there's a purpose for Wally now, right? That's all I'm saying. It took 12 years, Pixar was on the money. It just took a global pandemic to, to, to make it happen. All right, there's a few other things about that movie that are a little bit different than our current staple. But anyways, all right, main topic for today. So what is our, Johnny. What is, what is our main topic? Yes, yeah, so Johnny, the, the biggest disgrace, what do you call a disgraced unicorn? Actually, quick, quick question. So, would you consider a, a, a we horse? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. 
Wait, just, it, it, it lost it, its label. It's lost its purple color. It's lost a its nor- little horn. Technically, it's still a unicorn, but hold on. Is a Norwal just a seal if its horn was lost? I don't, I, I'm not familiar enough to speak to that. <laughs> but anyways, so main topic the, for today the main, is disgraced unicorn. We work. No, no. Our, our focus today is this. Could we work work? Right. I think it definitely could work. But to get to that, I think we should talk a little bit about how did we work almost work? And how did it fail so, so miserably? So, of course, WeWork is the, the great co-working company that seeks to bring kind of that Silicon Valley co-working space into all of their areas. They're based out of New York. They were kind of rose at the end of the last recession in which there was a lot of office space without a lot of tenants. So that makes a lot of sense that a company like this would come from that. I think that really kicked them off and really made them a huge thing, I believe, was 2017, and they, they've been doing well before then, but 2017, SoftBank raised a uh, really invested heavily in them. And I believe the, the CEO of SoftBank really took Adam Newman, who was the CEO of WeWork, or the former CEO of WeWork, under, their, under his wing, and was saying that he was going to be the next Jack Mallory. They were, this was, WeWork was going to be the next Alibaba for them. So, yeah, that's, that's, kind of how it, that's kind of how it took off. But I think... I think for the merits of it is the only reason I see rework as having failed is because somewhere along the lines of fate, we gave the biggest idiot, I had to censor myself there, the opportunity to do something that could have been hugely game-changing. So unpack that. What made rework brilliant? Well, why don't we say this? So this is... This to me, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to best format this because I think we should talk a little bit about how th- just the stupidity of how they came crashing down. Oh, that's, that's un- unavoidable, <laughs> yes. So even before, even before what made them brown, because I think what really made them successful is they built, because they're no different from IWG. Not really. IWG is, or Regis is their European counterpart. But what made them different was their brand. They try to say, oh, look at all this Silicon Valley, open office, free snacks, all these type of things. Let's bring that to all of the rest of the, of the world and build a brand around we. And I think that makes, that makes great sense. And it's another company of these other recession babies that lasted so long, had a huge amount of revenue and was just losing money or sorry, had a huge valuation. It was just losing money, hand over fist. Day over day, Uber, Lyft, WeWork, all Airbnb, all these companies that all came out of the recession, all losing money. And WeWork, to me, and you can tell me, this was my take, but of course you studied the fall. Tell me if I'm wrong this. To me, the only reason why WeWork got caught and WeWork isn't an IPO today is because their CEO was an idiot and they recklessly spent money and the S1 when they filed for that IPO, that all became so apparently clear that this company is, is run by children. And Wall Street was just like, no, we're not doing this. Just, I need to get the dates, but... 2019 that, was they applied for when they applied for their IPO. Right. It was in the fall and that led to their fall. Surprisingly. <laughs> so, but nothing happens in a vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. I think if WeWork was one of the first companies to, to come out, I wonder if they would have been more successful at 
having gone through with their IPO. There might have been a ton of, of scrutiny afterwards and a lot of changes after the fact, whatever happened, happened. But I think their IPO could have gone through if they were one of the first companies to come out of the gate. But the truth was- so they basically, were, right? this was Uber's fault. Effectively, right? If you look mm -hmm. at Uber, there was so much hype. You know, They were trying to go for 120 billion uh, when their, why do I keep blanking on his name? Their new CEO came into play. He had an incentive that he was going to get paid $100 million if he kept the share price above $100 billion for the next couple of years, couple right. of quarters. So there's an incentive for Uber to, to, to make that, uh, to be at that value, right? Uh, so, and then when it, when, when it came out, it came crashing down, right? Same thing with Lyft, right? When, when, when the numbers were appealed, people were shocked to see, you know, how much of this was funded by VCs, right? Yep. And it goes back to the economics of, of ride sharing, right? I've had this uh, discussion with, with a friend recently because Uber and Lyft came into Vancouver. And so, you know, everything they're giving 50% off, they're, they're trying to grow, they don't have enough riders, enough drivers, right? And so they're trying to build up the market and the, the, the demand here. So he was saying how great it was, he was able to pay four or five bucks for a trip. And I said, yeah, but that was with a you know fifty percent discount. If there was no fifty percent discount, would you do it? And he he kind of hesitated, and that was enough, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the thing; these guys are using VC or these guys have been using VC money to really lower the price of using their service, which is great, right, for you as a consumer. But when they need to turn it into a viable business that makes money and can sustain itself, is not leading to losses every year. How do they justify that, right? Prices have to go up. And then when the price of an Uber is comparable to a taxi, well, why would you take an Uber? What is the other incentive for you taking Uber? Go ahead. So leg legit question on this one. And this, and this, is, this is a pattern that we've started seeing in startups over the past decade that came out of the recession, but though it may have come before. It used to be your startup didn't go to round D. So if we're looking at all the different, thanks for, thanks for finding this graph. So, WeWork went to a Series G1 in terms of, and, and for, for folks who are listening, of course, Series are different funding rounds. It used to be your company didn't go to Series D. Your Series D was your IPO. That's that new cash infusion. But for whatever reason, and this may be because interest rates were kept low, there's plenty of VC money to go around, or maybe some of these companies, and I'm thinking we really should do a, a deep dive into some of these companies that came out of recession, which is fundamentally flawed from a business standpoint. But they never IPO'd when other companies of the past would have. Instead, they kept taking more and more and more VC money and kept becoming more and more and more non-viable as an actual business. 2019 just had some of the big the big uh, heavy hitters, right? You had Lyft come out in March, you had Uber in May, you had Peloton in September 2019. I'm still gathering a couple of the other ones. But you see this context, right, where investors started to sour on these so-called hype tech IPOs. And that's another topic, right, which we can discuss shortly, which is what was the tech in WeWork, right? Mm. Oh, even though tech Nothing. was there it was, predominantly It was a real across, estate company. Right? It was a Everybody real estate has holdings a, company. Everybody has an app, right? Walmart has an app, Best Buy has an app, you know, Target has an app, everybody has an app, right? So you having an app doesn't make you a tech company. But yes, the, so the context was that, you know, investors were already soured on all these guys, they've already seen, you know, everybody's going down. Most of them were at this point also trading under their, their IPO price. Mm -hmm. And 
Then with WeWork, there was all this other stuff, right? So uh, Adam Newman had bought the the rights to the we, we right? Because yeah. they were rebranding as We, so that they could be the We company and have WeWork. Uh, I don't know, WePlay and and all these we other grow. initiatives. Yes, uh, we, grow. we will. They, yeah, <laughs> they had this uh, school that they had set up under their branch. Uh, there was a lot of unfocus in that in that company. Um, so there was that. And then, yes, so he got the, the rights to we, we and then he sold it back to WeWork for $6 million, $7 million. million. Dollars. Right. And then he, some of the properties were actually owned by him. Yep. That WeWork then took over and leased. So yep. it looked like he was further enriching himself. And there was a whole, what do you call it? Like their philosophy of we... Our, our, our goal was to elevate the words consciousness. Yes. Yes. So (laughs) there's a lot that they did shoot themselves in the foot. Go ahead. Yes. I mean, the thing is, if you look at this, let's, let's compare like Adam Newman to Travis uh, Kalanick. Yes. Travis Kalanick to be, yeah, they both, if you look at both their companies, sexual harassment uh, lawsuits ongoing, uh, the party boy frat mentality, that uh, that has kind of tainted them. Both of them disgraced leaving the company. I think the one difference is Travis didn't do nearly as much dumb, dumb, uh, wasteful usage of his company's and VC money and not nearly as much self-indulgence with that money. He did a lot, mind you, but as Adam Newman did. And it, it kept striking me through my research of them that if they had even Travis as their CEO, would they be an IPO company today? Did they just get unlucky that they tried to IPO when people finally came to their senses and stopped being idiots to these Silicon Valley unicorns? So yes, a couple of things, right? One was the, the, the environment that they were coming public in near the end of 2019, the market had already soured, right? Mm-hmm. So there was already, if you will, higher scrutiny of these companies and more more investors were skeptical of, hey, are you really, is your business really as sound as you mm-hmm. say it is, right? We were came into the space when there was more scrutiny, investors wanted more details, there was a lack of confidence in any of these, you know, tech companies going public uh, with so much hype, right? And, you know, WeWork was coming in at a value of $47 billion. So, you know, internally they had floated the, the you know, crazy talk of $100 billion, Mm-hmm. So there was already a lot of scrutiny and we were just did itself no favor whatsoever, right? Every few days you'd see a new discovery. Their S1, I'm sure must go down in history as a case study <laughs> of what not to do and what not to say, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots of references being a tech company when they didn't really have much. It, there wasn't anything that they were doing that their competitors weren't already doing, right? They already right. had apps, they were already had all the data they could analyze. Like everybody was kind of already doing that. But WeWork was great at marketing, right? They had a great story. They were very compelling. It was all about being a community, changing the way we work. And then the continued stories came out, right? Like he uh, flew to Israel. They had so much pot that the, the pilots were scared that they would get arrested for well, it's, it's, trafficking yeah, it's drugs. A, it's, illegal and it's illegal to bring uh, marijuana into Israel. The thing that irks me the most about WeWork is so uh, this is this is the question actually Johnny. so yes they don't differentiate themselves 
they are sorry they're not special they're a real estate company they're just a real estate holdings firm do you believe that this model could work or do you believe in this this idea of this vision i do and I should, part of the reason i prompted me to talk for us to talk about we work today was because i came across an article on forbes of the anti we work Mm-hmm. Uh, how Mark Dixon built his co-working company to survive coronavirus, which talks about what was formerly Regis, now they're IWG. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he talks about how they survived the, the 2008 crash. Uh, you know, he sold some stakes, he sold some of his companies, but, you know, he became very, the company became very lean, very focused, and then was able to expand in the post-2008, 2009 crash. Uh, and how he's built his company to be a survival. He's brought, uh, you know, he treats um, the landlords as business partners, mm-hmm. right? So that instead of him just renting from them and then renting it out to his to his clients, they're, they come in as business partners. So they're part of the upside, but also part of the downside. It's a very interesting article that just talks about how IWG has been able to survive this long. And even though they have more, there are more places, there are more cities, there are more properties than we were. They're, they're, they're uh, valued a fraction of we were. Yeah, so I think a few billion dollars. This, I think this speaks to the hubris of, of just the hype of VC money coming into a company and hypercharging it for hypergrowth. We were could, would have been successful had it stayed to its core mission and not tried to expand to the point that it's expanded at, right? Well, it, Yes. Sorry, keep going. Well, you know, as we noted, had a great culture. You, instead of you going working in a coffee shop, you could go work at a place that you could meet other entrepreneurs, other like-minded folks, and connect and, and grow your business and grow your network. That was that captivating story of us coming together and rethinking how work works. Uh, it's just that they just expanded too, too, too much. They were given all this money. Think, hey, think 100x. Mm-hmm. My question is, why do you need to think 100x? You already have a competitor that's much larger than you that's already doing well, right? So why couldn't you be focused on that and keep growing on that, right? It could take longer, but you would still be building a sustainable business than having overstretched. Look, they had, when they were IPOing, that, some of the other numbers was that their fundamental business just didn't make sense, right? They had yep. lease commitments of $47 billion over 15 years. And most, while most of their, their clients and customers were, had 15 month leases, right? And that's one of the other things that IWG did was they went after more corporate. So most of their leases were actually several years, right? Yeah. So even though if some, if there was a downturn, yes. Okay. Some of your folks would leave, but the majority of IWG's clients were other businesses that, you know, didn't want to deal with leasing a place and, and, and curing that, right. That IWG took, took care of, which we work did, but we were catered so much to startups, right. And startups once like there's no money and you're in this kind of crisis or even in the economic recession, they're going to be the first ones to, to stop. Right. The reason I am so mad at WeWork's failing is because I actually think a hundred X is the, I, I see the a hundred X. Let me, let me describe it this way. Let me, let, me, let me try to sell the Kool-Aid of Rework as if I was the founder. Uh, this should be a good segment of sell the Kool-Aid. <laughs> we, should think of, we should think about that. Um, it's all let's you. put it this way. What if, don't think of it as a co-working space. 
Think of it because look at what else they're doing. We live, we will, we these, with these other things. Think of it as Johnny, the potential of having the first real world recommendation engine. And what I mean by that is if you look at their co working space, what in theory set them apart, I'm not sure how much of this was, was BS, but the technology exists and this could happen is they would monitor the usage of whether it's the drinks you have, whether it's what spaces you use. They would, they would collect this data and figure out how to improve. Same thing with We Live. It was a co-living area where they offer you a luxury in terms of getting your laundry done for you, high-speed internet, television pre-furnished, all these things, and they would collect data about how you're using things when you're spending time here, when you're turning on the TV, all these different types of things. We Will, the gym situation. This, this was just a pure real estate play for them. They didn't have this type of technology, but if you think about it, by building a life, putting your lifestyle or your complete day-to-day under a single data umbrella, that is the holy grail that no company can achieve. If you think about it, from the moment you wake up, you're living in a, in, a we, in a we live situation. You go to a we work for your work. You're going to a we will gym. I mean, in the future, you got to move. They, they, they definitely got to move into like some type of food industry. And all these different type of partnerships then in the future with clothing, whatever it is, it's collecting data. And to me, the reason why I am so mad about this missed opportunity is that type of data collection, that type of personalization, I see that as the future. And I think WeWork kind of was, this, this company, this vision, could it be that, was actually a shortcut. Because if you look at Apple and Amazon, they're trying to put devices in your homes to try to collect data for you. They try to entice you and attract you to change your behavior in order to give them data. But we, the we company potentially started off with the one thing that is intrinsic to the world in which that is space is more valuable than anything but time in this entire world. They started with the physical space, physical real estate. And to get such a thing under one umbrella, you have to have a brand. And you have to build a giant brand because if it's just co-working, that's not going to work. If it's just co-working, IWG, that's it. $2 billion. That's all you got in that space. And it's not no real estate holding company, no apartment complex holding company can, can build brand loyalty. You go to the apartment. You don't go to the apartment because it's like founded by infinity, blah, blah, blah. So if you build a brand and you get people living in your ecosystem, that's the only way you can get all of this data together. And to me, this was a shortcut to a future that could have been really cool to me. And because this idiot with no sense of, you know, like anything, this, this idiot, he ruined it. He ruined and set back a future. Not to say, hey, they could have ever reached that vision I just described. But that would be my 10, 100x vision for a company like WeWork. But there's a vision and being able to execute it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where they just overextended and overstretched. So but why, they, so but how, legitimately speaking, did they overextend and overstretch or was Adam just a complete idiot? Well, okay. So if I'm hearing what you're saying, you know, their, you know, in their S1, they talk about their whole goal is to elevate the world's consciousness. So it sounds like you have a different story to tell the investors, right? So if this was the business you were, it was back in fall 2019, Michael Chan is in charge. What is it that, what is the story that you would be telling investors that would have changed your mind. And mind you, be, be aware that you're coming into 
uh, environment that you know Uber is kind of tanked, Lyft is tanked. Mm -hmm. I saw Pinterest actually went out. Um, uh, Slack also went out. That was a bit disappointing. Uh, you know, so you're you're coming into this context that investors are more skeptical and not really ready to jump on the next hype train that is the tech. Well, uh, I guess the there's two things: unicorns. So there's what is the story? Go ahead. I'm not sure the story needed to change. Because really? the S1, in reading through it, was so abysmal. He had a freaking policy in that S1 that if he died or was no longer able to be yeah. the CEO, yeah. that his wife and a very small group of people had the ability to choose his successor. What type of BS is that? So you're saying that shouldn't have changed? No, no, no. I, I, I'm, <laughs> saying that, I'm saying that if he were just a competent person, this would have been... I think it still would have gone through even with those problems or even further had they just come out. So uh, SoftBank, what's it called? Gives them that huge funding. They're worth 47, they're worth 47 million or they're worth 20, whatever million, 2017. All you had to do 2018 were IPOing. Hmm. Jump out before all of this mess. It's not as if any, it's not as if anyone with eyes could not see, Oh, Uber is going to go. Oh, that's going to be a mess. Oh, Lyft's going to, Oh, that, that's going to work. Yeah. It's like, there was a lot of excitement. Oh boy. Yep. There was a lot of excitement in 2017, right? When Snapchat came out, uh, you know, and disappointed, was a little, you know, concerned, but it wasn't that bad, right? There was still a lot of hype going into 2019 where we see, you know, Lyft, Pinterest, Zoom, PagerDuty, Uber, Slack, Trace, Peloton. Those are the companies that went public in 2019. So yes, there was still a lot of faith, a lot of hype into these companies. And further, uh, you could say the thing, you could say the same thing that people say of like uh, the, the failed when they when people talked about Barnes and Nobles right now, when they're talking about McDonald's and all these downturns, you can still say, "Hey, our value asset, like these other companies, is physical real estate holdings." Right. It's like New York is not going to lose its value anytime soon, and we can we can adjust because during the time he was saying, "Oh, we can adjust to enterprise and uh, what's it called? An economic downturn may be actually better because people might not have the money for longer contracts, but they might have the money for shorter term." All these things you can work with as a business and potentially survive a downturn. So let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. right. right now, do you see WeWork surviving in the current, in its current form? No, I feel they've tainted themselves so much and they were on a shakier ground to begin with and they're not essential. So I always do this with, the, with investing or thinking about companies in general, which is if this company disappeared, would you feel it? I think if Uber disappeared, you would feel it. Airbnb went away, you may feel it, depending on who you are. If Google went away, of course, you'd feel it. If WeWork went away, I don't think you'd feel it. And because of that, if Yelp went away, you'd feel it to an extent. Well, I, I would say right now we will feel WeWork because the folks, the, the, the landlords, remember, we have to remember that the, the, the context of this is WeWork is the largest office landlord in Private New York City. Private office holder in New York City, yeah. And London. I don't think the corporate, they started growing the corporate, right? Because I think even Amazon, Amazon might be one of the client of theirs. Yes. I don't yep. think a ma the majority of who they've catered to over the years has not been the corporations. I think that's a more recent development and I don't think it's enough to hold them, right? Because yep. already they were wait expecting that $3 billion offer from, from SoftBank, which SoftBank I mean, originally it was be $8 billion and then SoftBank went out and then it was $2 billion and then SoftBank went out even of that. And now there's yeah. a lawsuit going back and forth. Exactly. So I, if WeWork continues in the spiral in the current situation, uh, no one's going to an office, everyone's staying home. All the, the, you know, 
you know, from a corporate standpoint, maybe it gets protected. There's probably going to be a bunch of lawsuits, but all that property that they were the, the tenants of that they are now reneging and probably getting kicked out, there's going to be massive foreclosures in the, in the corporate right. office space, right? And that will have ramifications. Yes, there'll be, there'll be sold on foreclosures. There'll be sold on liens. Let's not pretend there aren't other real estate developers and real estate holding companies in New York City or in London. Those will get snatched up. Those will get snatched up in an instant. They'll inherit all the contracts. It's like that's that's what I'm saying about WeWork, which is yes, the the services felt by those people will be gone, but WeWork never made itself essential. Yes, in that regard, yes, I, I do agree. I do agree. So yeah, so for that reason, I do not see them surviving. So I think if they were just run competently, they could have survived. They were not run competently. The thing that would have made them successful was their brand. They've tainted their brand. The brand is dead now. It's mainstream dead. It's not even within tech. To the, what I was talking about before, you need a brand to be truly successful with this 100X vision. They don't have that. I don't see them surviving. It'll be very interesting in the future if, if to see. It, actually, I was going to say, will someone buy up their properties? They won't. Probably will just go back into the ether. And it would just be, once again, all the other real estate holding companies that come and pick up WeWork's leftovers. So to summarize what, what you're saying is if Michael Chen was the CEO of, of WeWork you know, in, the, in 2019, he would have... We would be an IPO company right now. <laughs> right. And he, it, WeWork would and be I'm sitting not pretty. holding myself to a high bar on that one. I'm not saying, oh, I'm so, some genius. No, I just wouldn't have spent money on a Learjet or try yeah. to booze up my entire office but or that, sold like $5 million. I wouldn't have tried to enrich myself through this company. So that's, that's what I want to touch on, right? So if you look at it, and that's what I was trying to... WeWork would have been successful before even all that if they had just, at least in the short term, thought a little more conservatively. Thought, just thought, had a brain. Yeah. Yes. I, and this is what I'm getting say, at. As you can tell, I, I am not letting there, this guy off the there, hook. I'm not being but, subtle or nice. Listen, listen, this listen, this is, what, this is what I'm trying to get at, right? He didn't operate in the ether, right? It wasn't just like this one person that controlled this entire company. I know like from all the stuff he said, it looked like he was trying to build a final like, dynasty. Like he wanted his heirs to control, continue to control. It's like, dude, this is not a, this is not a royalty. This is a, a public, if you want it to be a public company, or you could be like the Koch brothers and continue to be private and nobody cares. Right. But what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is what is the ecosystem that allowed somebody like Adam Newman to, to essentially corrupt this, this company or become corrupted himself and corrupt this company that had, as you said, so much potential. I do see so many interesting things. Uh, you know, people seem very passionate about WeWork. I see videos on YouTube about people showing, like, you know, their WeWork space, how they're yeah, working together, course. the community. It was, that's what it has, the right? Thing is, it's, you're it's you're giving people a luxury. Well, yes, its brand was great, right? But mm -hmm. it was all ruined. So, mm -hmm. and that's what I'm going to speak to, right? When SoftBank came into the picture, they became the sole folks that started investing in subsequent rounds. So there was no discipline to say, wait a minute, like, you know, like if you have several VCs or several investors coming in, you might have a little bit of back and forth. You know, if they really believe in it, they might drive up the valuation and how much they're going to invest. But SoftBank came in with their hundred billion dollars, right? And said, Hey, think 10 X, think hundred X. If don't think I, I, I give you 200 million, think what would you do with $2 billion? Right. Mm -hmm. But hell, uh, let me, let me do a flip here. And, and this is, going back to what we talked about in news, and I guess reputation wise and some mistakes were made on this company as well, but the same thing was 
was told to a young Mark Zuckerberg. The same thing was told, actually the same things uh, were told to like all of these other tech founders throughout the years that were anyway VC funded. Nobody was giving, coming in with a $5 billion check. Comparatively speaking, they were. In the 90s, in the 90s, I mean, I don't remember how much uh, Google raised, but it was a, it's a comparative thing. So yes, I think a part of it is there's so, there's so much more rampant money going around these days. But yes, at the same time though, so, okay, let's, let's break down. I think, I think this is worth talking about because we have a few of these. If we think about Snap, if we think about Uber, if we think about WeWork, if we think about Zenefits, what do they have in common? They had a frat boy, actually all of them, oh, throw Theranos in there. So this, so it's not all just a single gender. So put Theranos in there. All of them had a domineering leader called a personality type. And all of them had very flawed people running so, at the helm of their company. So Google, and I think this is a topic for another day when we look at it this more broadly, but Google raised $25 million in funding prior to going public. There's right. a, I, yes, I think there's two sides to a coin, right? There is That's the money, money in the 90s. Listen, well, yes, but it's not like they got all that 25 million in one, right? That's what they raised before the IPO. So that was money that came in in chunks. What I'm getting at is okay. there's two sides to this coin. Mm -hmm. There is the discipline that comes with having money, a limited amount of money, right? I think when they first got it, it was like 50,000, 100,000 that they got. To, and again, to this, was the, this was the time period when which, uh, what's it called? You weren't going to round C or D, you were IPOing. Exactly, right? So you even if you look at... I, Again, I have to go do my research, but even if you look at like Amazon and even Facebook to a certain extent, they don't raise billions of dollars, right? Mm -hmm. So there's one aspect is, yes, you can raise millions of dollars. Yes, it's a lot of money comparatively. I'm sure we can do the math to figure out what 25 million is today, but that's still 25 million does not equate to $2 billion in today's world, right? So there's a money aspect. And yes, there's the other aspect, which you're arguing, which is it comes down to who the person is. Mm -hmm. I will agree. I'm reading the everything store. Uh, the story about Amazon right now. And you can just see how Jeff Bezos was relentlessly focused on delivering value and building Amazon to be the everything store. That was his vision. It wasn't uh, to create this. It wasn't so many distractions. It was just nail focused on how do we continue to grow Amazon's capabilities to deliver anything and everything in the world. You see that in Facebook, right? Facebook had relentless focus, right? Their whole mantra in early days, which was a bit controversial, was... Uh, uh, move fast and break things, right? Yep. You can see that in, in and Bill Gates. I like to point out, I was like, of this, like Mark was an 18-year-old immature kid when he founded Facebook. Right. And you can see that in Bill Gates, right? Where he said, you know, we're working towards having a computer in every single home with Microsoft. Mm -hmm. It's relentless focus on delivering this vision. We work just did not have that. So I agree with that, right? There's two sides, right? There's a corruption of the money and the amount of money. Like when you invest $2 billion, what kind of return do you expect? Right? Exactly. Versus, and then of course there's a, where's the person's head at, right? So I think money plays a role. I think VC well has definitely run amok and the access right. to so much money has run amok. And like right. I said, it's like what we we're talking about before. Now you should be IPOing and you should be getting the responsibility of being a public company, of having disclosed finances, of having investor, uh, what's it called? Investor expectations on you. Right. When you're private for this was 2010 to 2000, it's still private, private for a decade and you're valued at this much, you, you answer to no one 
except the highly biased ideas of people who gave you money and believe in you. I'm just looking at this WeWork valuations chart. So just as an example, right, from 2009, uh, 2010-ish, like around that time, right, uh, looks like 2009, they raised 17 million at a $100 million valuation, Series A. I don't know mm -hmm. how they were valued out, almost 100 million, but sure, let's go with it. Then in 2010, so roughly a year and a half later, they raised $41 million at a $440 million valuation, right? So I think it'd be interesting to see, you know, what is the initial value, if, what, if possible, for these large co companies. Maybe we can take 10, 10 companies as an activity and look at that and say between each funding round, how much did they raise and what was the percentage increase in their valuation and mm -hmm. potentially look at to see if there's any trend. My thing is that I think the, the, the later you get into the 2010s, the yep. higher the valuation jumps up and the more money they're able to raise. Oh, yeah. And I think that's a big push from SoftBank, which I think is a totally different subject. So, no, no, okay. Absolutely. And that's, that's happened with a lot of the companies that are founded around this time. Okay. So we work tons and tons of potential, very fascinating idea, this vision to have this larger, hey, everyone's going after time. We have the physical space that you're spending your time on and that's where mm -hmm. we could have dominated is the argument yep. I'm seeing. But obviously they didn't, they didn't execute well. They kind of got distracted and corrupted with all this silly, silly amount of money. So is, I want to just ask, what is your ideas of the week? If you don't have any other thing to add yes. to the main all topic. All right, so I guess my idea is, okay, so now we, have to, now we have to kind of work harder because working smarter would have been a company like WeWork or We, the We company, uh, becoming successful. So now we have to work harder. I'm trying to think, okay, what type of hardware or type of data collection mechanism could you introduce into the world that people will use and you can collect important data that feeds into an ecosystem? What, what type of data collection mechanism mm -hmm. that people can start using? Has to be, in my mind, it's a hardware thing. So basically my thought is this, how do you rebuild all the lost data? that this company never was able to achieve. And I'm thinking probably this goes back to the beginning, which is outside of a company like this achieving it, Apple's probably the only company. So it's probably wearable devices is, oh, company, right. is the space. You're right, I'm, I'm seeing it this way. So there's been this big push for, for the internet of things, smart home devices, and all of that, right? And then, but I think a lot of that potential, the bigger wait, potential could. Johnny, okay, wait, wait, just one thought on this. You know, we, you want to be the Switzerland of streaming services. That, that right. was the old, that was your last right. idea for the about two weeks. The Switzerland of, okay, so now we're gonna be the Switzerland of. The Switzerland of the internet of things. I'm not sure what that is. I'm not sure if it's a security play. I'm not sure if it's a networking play. I don't know what it is, but could we be this internet, uh, the Switzerland of the internet of things? So that's, that's what I was uh, getting at, right? So there's this big push for smart homes, all of that. Everyone's coming into their space. It doesn't look to me like everyone's starting to work together yet because it's not in their interest to work together. Yep. And that's like, there's no one single ecosystem, right? It, and of course, that has to come from a security standpoint as well, right? But Apple's devices play really well with Apple. They don't really play well with others. So unless these guys kind of, I don't know if they've already created it, but unless they kind of create a consortium to say, how do we solve this? So this is where I was getting at. Housing is housing, right? Everyone's kind of fighting in that space. I think the big potential of Internet of Things really is in the 
in the industrial, right? You're starting to see that with sensors, smart sensors, a lot tied to trucking, improving um, corporations in the B2B space. And I think we work with that avenue to get to, to people's work because people's work typically is, you know, at a company uh, that, you know, they lease, you know, like, you know, an Apple, an Apple corporation, McDonald's, what have you, right? Like that's the private companies, the public company space, right? And there's no way they're going to let you in. But if you were at WeWork, you controlled the real estate that people were working at. So you could put in all these smart work sensors and start doing some really interesting, potentially very interesting things and getting not just this data, but that could give you ability to come up with more products and services. Like everyone's rushing to say, let's build a smart home uh, thing, right? Like your garage opens, your Alexa knows, and all of that, which is great. That's personal, right? But I think it's so fragmented because you have Apple coming in there, you have Amazon, you have Google, you have all these other smaller players, Ring that gets bought by Amazon, there's all these privacy issues and all of that, right? But what is being done at the work level, right? I think WeWork could have been an interesting space to explore that because they control that space and they could have experimented in their different areas. So, so there's only one other party that can, which is the user. You have to provide the user some value, value such that they will connect all this information together. So this consumerization of internet of things in the same way there's been a consumerization of like the, the different business apps over the years, mm -hmm. right? Because this, people... is the, this is the second part of it. And all two set, everything is a two-side marketplace. And everyone assumes that the consumer does not have the power, but the consumer is massively powerful. That they are the behavior of the consumer is the is they can provide an answer that technology and politics can. With all of these things, actually, with a lot of these ideas, I think in general what we're seeing is we're seeing a very fragmented ecosystem, right. and companies that are never going to work together. Their if their their definition of working together is going to be acquiring each other. So that gives advantage to the consumer in a lot of ways competition that is free market economy yay uh but it also gives disadvantages to some of the value that could be unlocked by having a single player have all of this information so the question to this is how could you be a neutral party a neutral player in this like what i don't have the answers but so that's here's, the question right here's the what thought is, that came that? through my mind so this we brand could we be could you make not the not the $47 billion or how much money did they raise? They, how much money did they raise? 55 billion? Oh, wait, oh, this is north, north of 10 billion. 10 billion. Okay. Can you not, can you be not the $10 billion we company? Could you somehow be the $1 billion or the $1 million? Sorry. We company. Could you build it through apps and services and maybe a, a small hardware play here and there? Could you somehow kind of recreate a brand and a suite of lifestyle things because ultimately what they were moving towards was lifestyle uh, or your life in general could you create a suite of on the cheap lifestyle things that sole purpose is to bring together this data such that the more you're in this real world living ecosystem your life ecosystem that you are now also contributing this this data and this information vague idea but that's 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 kind of what hit my mind. So any ideas of the week for you, Johnny? I think that's it. My, my, not so much an idea, but just that the, 
what does a neutral player in this space look like? Mm-hmm. And how could you make that a reality? Like, mm-hmm. would you survey a bunch of different folks at, at any of the, like, you know, like I go to downtown Vancouver, I go to a bunch of offices when, when we go back to being back in offices, hopefully, uh, and say, hey, what is it that in the office you don't like? How do you think tech could play a role? What are the problems, right? Not even ask how does tech play a role, just try to see what people's pain points are and think what could a app or technology, hardware, software enable us to do to solve these problems and how could we remain a neutral player? Because otherwise, like I said, you know, an Apple could set up something in their office and that would just be unique to them. Amazon could do the same. So here, actually here, um, maybe that is, like, for, the, for folks that want it, right? Uh, besides the, the mission statement and all that, could that be a perk that a company could offer, potentially, right? Saying, hey, our office, you, you know, we, let's not, not talk about all the like, hey, we, we have video games and beer, but what is there that could benefit folks' lives in the office further more than what's been done that could be enabled by technology that a company could use as an advantage for themselves? Right to say, hey, this is the additional benefit you get because we offer this data-driven capability to all our employees that will benefit and improve your home office life. I don't know if that is technology, right? Because you're already seeing the rise of of, of ergonomic keyboards, ergonomic mice, uh, standing desks, standing chairs, what have you, right? So, but what is missing in the office space that companies could use smart tech to to solve? and use it as a benefit, right? Because if there's not, not gonna be a neutral player, the only next thing you can do is say, hey, me as a company, I offer this, mm-hmm. right? Whatever that part could be that speaks to a certain demography. Uh, and I don't know what that is, but that could be an idea. Yes, but when we get this idea, Johnny, we need to think 100X. Oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> and go get our 100X VC money. Yes, also, uh, also I hear there's a Learjet that's for sale. Who, who needs? <laughs> Who needs a million dollars when you can get a billion dollars? There we go. All right. And with that, that's all for this week's show. Everyone stay healthy, stay safe out there, and see you next week. Thank you for listening.